0: Welcome to Rose City Politics, our apologies to anyone listening live about that uh, quick technical difficulty, but we are back and we are very pleased to have a very special guest here in studio, John Dagnolo, who is uh, Unifor Local 200 president. Thank you so much for joining us, John.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And we have a a special guest and a familiar guest. Councillor
2: Karen McKenzie. How are you, Karen? Surprise guest, too. Surprise guest. I didn't know I was going to be on surprised. until, uh, you know, to team. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. I don't know if we
3: should use the term special, but <laughs> we'll call it. Special, yeah, quote unquote, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, i uh, think.
0: And then uh, regular <laughs> panelist right. Don Maryfield is here. Hello, Don. I
3: am always happy to be here. And
0: I am Sarah Morris. We have a great action-packed show tonight. Uh, first half of the show, we're going to be talking about NEMAC, and then we are bringing on uh, another friend of the show, TJ Bondi to be talking about Ojibwe. Uh, We are brought to you with the kind support of Lioness 625, Building Better Communities. And you can always join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and we love to hear from you. We are broadcasting live with all of the technical difficulties, uh, (laughs) part of that, uh, at Reno's Kitchen, right above Reno's Kitchen, uh, in the heart of downtown Windsor. Uh, We are broadcasting from the kitchen studios. So let's get started. Uh, John, can you give us a little bit of context about uh, what's happened and what's brought us to today? And we have some breaking news, and if you can talk about that as well.
1: Sure. On July 16th, I was called to the NEMAC facility, and they announced to the membership that uh, they were going to be moving the three programs that we negotiated to Mexico. So... We were quite shocked because three programs, what had happened in 2016, the company came to us and said, listen, we have the I-6 diesel block, which goes into the Colorado truck. We have the Thelman Louise, which is a Corvette block and bed plate. Um, but in order to get that, the workers are gonna to have to freeze their wages. So there was some tough decisions by the uh, membership. And they decided to uh, have a future at EMAC, and they took the wage freeze. So we were absolutely in shock when they told us that they were going to be moving those products to Mexico. So in saying that in 2016, they realized that they were going to need um, more than just those programs. Um, They had some documentation saying that we're going to have to look at uh, another program to go in there. And sure enough, FCA came through the building uh, about eight months ago because they, they have a similar block to the I-6 GM block. They went through the plant. They seen, the, uh, they seen what the workers have done, and they awarded the block to NEMAC. And when we went to Mexico in uh, last Wednesday, I think that was the 27th, they told us that product is also going to Mexico. So here we have three programs that could fully utilize that site and they're all going to Mexico. So obviously we're gonna, we're gonna challenge it, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, went, we had three meetings with the company, all asking to please keep that work there, don't break our contract. And we went as far as uh, to see Armando Temez, who's the CEO of Nemac, and uh, we heard crickets. So we took action on Labor Day um, at ten forty-five a.m. And uh, we've had uh, we've been protesting that facility since.
0: And so today, there's there's been some news, correct?
1: Yes, we. Uh, NEMAC obviously challenged it under the uh, OLRB, and there's been a cease and desist put out.
0: So for folks who aren't very familiar with, with um, how this works in the labor world, what does that mean on, on sort of a practical term?
1: Well, basically they're asking us to go back to work. Right. So um, I, have, I have made it clear that uh, we are going to continue to protest the action. I, I'm in quite shocked, to be quite frank with you. So you have a company that's bro- broke a contract. They're going to put 270 livelihoods. Um, it, it's heartbreaking, to be quite frank with you. You think about talking to the members, and uh, they're having sleepless nights, wondering how they're going to pay their bills, take care of their children. And... Uh, it's wrong. I, I I can't believe the courts made that decision. So we've got to stand up uh, as Unifor and challenge the courts.
0: Absolutely. So what's been the mood um, around the plant uh, this week?
1: Well, we've had a, we've had a lot of support. Uh, the the mayor has been uh, down to support them. Um, we've had people. We've had restaurants come in and bring food. We've had people uh, supporting them by bringing coffee and donuts. I've had calls from the Toronto area saying we're behind you. Uh, They don't understand how you can break a contract like that and be able to move the work to Mexico Mm -hmm. out of Canada. The real issue though, is we have to put some type of policy in place because right now we have countries around the world, and this is a global company, so we build an LGE block, it's called. It, it goes into a Cadillac, and it's, right now it goes to China. It's been shipped to China. The next generation LGE block will be built in China. As China's saying you have to build it in China. Germany, they have companies in Germany. You have to build it in Germany. In the United States, they have six plants in the United States. You have to, you're building it in the United States. You see with, uh, what's happening today in Canada that's not the case and they're leaving and going south and we cannot compete with Mexico. Right. Let's make that perfectly clear we cannot compete with them. Their wages
3: Is that is that going to be an ongoing problem with Canada considering we're relatively a small market when you compare ourselves to, you know, the European market or China?
1: Well, when you when if other
3: countries are putting well, protectionist policies in, is that going to be something that ongoing will, could affect us?
1: It wouldn't be if our government's put in a policy in place. We had a policy in place for many years. That's why we have all these facilities here in in Ontario Mm -hmm. and um, created hundreds of thousands of jobs. As soon as the auto pack left, the jobs started leaving with it. Um, And we cannot compete without some type of policy in place to protect workers and uh, manufacturing here.
2: So yeah, so I'll chime in on that uh, at this point. There's a couple of things that I find particularly disappointing. In addition to what you know, John just outlined, we think about um, you know us losing investment, um, uh, losing jobs in our region, in our country, uh, in a quote-unquote globalizing uh, environment. Uh, it's tough to accept because if we are going to move forward in, with these. Um, Uh, to globalize trade markets. The only way to do that effectively, in my opinion, or equitably is by leveling the playing field across the board. And that's what's missing in jurisdictions like Mm -hmm. Mexico uh, and in other places where capital is looking to, to, to invest because they have the open door to bring the product back in. What they don't have in the jurisdictions that they're moving to are proper protections for workers, decent wages for workers, Mm -hmm proper environmental protections, human rights. It's um, uh, Mexico is not a nice place to go. It's not a nice place to live with the utmost respect to people who have uh, Mexican heritage and, have, and believe uh, it's the best place in the world. I'm sure that there are, but when you compare the quality of life for the people that live in Mexico versus uh, in Canada, it's radically different. And we can't allow for, uh, well, I should say it a different way. Trade agreements actually give us the opportunity to try to help people in other parts of the world raise mm-hmm. their standard of living. And that's one of the things that we've missed over and over and over again as we've entered into these trade agreements with countries like Mexico or any number of other trade agreements that we've signed with countries that aren't sort of on that same, let's call it, plane of rule of law. Uh, as Canada is so, and we're, we're seeing the consequences of that play out in this community in particular, because being the auto sector, it's a highly globalized industry, and so we're play, we're we're asking folks in this region to compete on a on a playing field that's totally unlevel, and it's it's and we see the results. It's not it's not a good outcome.
1: Yeah, the key is in the uh, Hyundai's um, the Korean vehicles. For every one sold in Korea's five hundred sold here. It's there's no balance whatsoever and that's the frustrating part. Um and by the way, when you when you apply for those jobs at Nemac right now, they're up in uh Monterey, Mexico. It's men only. It so oh, right on that's the uh great. isn't that nice. <laughs> it's, uh,
2: uh, unsurprising though, right? Yes. Like I mean you can just name right. the horrible thing and, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. And it's right. not just happening in Mexico. It's happening in jurisdictions and, and countries that we have active trade agreements with all over the world.
0: So I have a, I have a um, uh, ignorant question, I suppose. Um, are there unions in Mexico? Like, is, is that
1: part of that
0: work environment at all?
1: Well, the challenge we have, they call them yellow unions. And they are basically run by... Uh, the cartels and and they're not unions and that's the mm-hmm. struggle we've had people that have actually tried to unionize and uh the Unifor has met with a lot of them um and we've had people die in mexico that tried to unionize so that's been a real struggle for many many years we support unions mm-hmm. in, Mex- in mexico we support labor we we would like to see with the trade agreement um when we talk about the trade agreement and the changes that are going to be made to increase our wages to uh, $15, that would be something that we would be uh, uh, for. That's going to take quite some time, and we right. don't have time right now.
0: So uh, to, to bring it out a little bit larger, uh, when we talk about NAFTA, is this going to impact Canada in a positive way or the sort of the renegotiation of that trade agreement?
2: In the USMCA? Oh, USMCA, <laughs> pardon me, yes. <laughs> right, Don? Yeah, it, not it right. yeah.
1: yeah it, well, it's improved, mm-hmm. but I truly believe we have to have some type of um, manufacturing policy over right. and above that. And we used to have trade agreements with the US um, prior to NAFTA, and we still had the policy in place. So... Um, we had the combination of both, and we were very successful. We had a, um, a thriving economy when that was in place, and unfortunately, that is not the case now. We're seeing those jobs go away, and it's uh, and it's actually affecting everything, our social programs, etc.
2: You know, and, and sorry, and to piggyback on that, so there's the trade policy that um, you know I think we've outlined that there's a, that there's some gaps and some problems. Um, there's also the domestic stimulus packages or, that we're offering uh, to, to see investment happen and in in, in, you know, we talk about NEMAC. NEMAC is actually a really, really good example. In the last three years they got something in the order of about $20 million of public subsidy for us to presumably protect jobs, key, allow them to make the the investments so that um, uh, they can get these programs into into the facility. I remember speaking it was the federal announcement um, that, that Minister Baines attended in 2017, I believe it was, and I was speaking to some of the corporate leadership, and they they they, they did say this is this investment here allows for protects this plan for you know you know I, I'm not I don't want to overstate, but it, you know it was it was the next decade ish to come, and um, you know so it's really hard. Just a couple of years ago to see theres a, there's a you know uh, an investment and a partnership that, uh, that the public through the federal government in that instance, and they got provincial dollars about 15 million dollars, there's municipal dollars that they w- that were made available to them. Uh, it's my understanding they never leveraged the 1.6 million dollars that was offered to them, but it was on the table for them. Um, bottom line is it's a lot of money mm-hmm. that um, the public invested in NEMAC. so you have the agreements that they've turned their back on. Um, whether or not to the T that they've satisfied the terms of the contracts that they entered into with the public through these subsidies. The fact is there were promises that were made when these investments move forward Um, and they haven't been lived up to, and it really makes it challenging now to move forward to, to look at, okay, well, where is it? When do we make these types of investments at the public sector level in the private sector to help support their endeavors, I understand there's risk in a market economy but in this instance you know to cut and run after just a couple of years uh, and to head to Mexico with a product that still there's a market for clearly um, that's a and there is a contract in place with the with the um, with the union and the workers this is really really hard to accept
3: in leveraging those uh, public dollars the story that was said that they would invest thirty-eight million dollars and they needed that funding
1: from various levels of government
3: into the into the plant. Were those investments ever made? Were they were. The they made?
1: they were made. But here here's the issue, though. So we they've invested that money. They've done it. Now they have the technology and they're moving it all to Mexico, mm-hmm. and that's that's a real struggle. And and keep in mind, uh, they supply millions of parts in Ontario. So here we have a company that's going to build everything in Mexico they have 11 plants they're actually have 10 right now they're building a brand new die cast plant there mm-hmm. as we speak and they're going to those millions of parts are going to come from Mexico to Windsor and that's a shame and when you think about the i6 program the Colorado truck that goes to Flint Michigan so it comes from Windsor to Flint Michigan now it's going to be built in Mexico and it's go from Mexico to Flint Michigan and these are the and that's absolutely wrong
2: no question about it. Think about it. We funded that R and D, yeah. and we lost the technology. Not only did we fund the R and D, like, and when I say just not just the R, when I say R and D, it's not just oh, in the lab and figure up the uh, figure out the chemical compound to make the lightest t- form of aluminum. It's also the proof of concept, act- actually building it and testing it and doing it in our community. So we funded all of that, and it's gone. We have no pro- ter- proprietary rights. Uh, that are attached to any of, that, uh, any, any of that technology that they are now going to leverage to make, just to be frank, they're going to make millions and millions, mm. maybe billions of dollars in profit selling these vehicles that we help develop the technology that make it an attractive product in the marketplace. It's, it's wrong on so many levels. So now to
3: be fair to the federal government, because I always am. Sure. <laughs> Danny Keenan, who is a spokesperson for the Department of Innovation, Science, and Economic Development, had stated that while the terms of the contribution agreement are commercially confidential, NEMAC was deemed to have satisfied the terms of the program. So although they did receive the money, according to the feds anyway, they did what they were supposed to do. Sure, but
2: so without getting, taking a deep dive into the terms of the contract, the, uh, the point that's been made by many people who have been observers and uh, critics of the government on the trade front is that those terms are far too... Um, um, uh, liberal liberal small L in uh, in the context of uh, you know not providing enough protection for the public, mm-hmm. taxpayers, residents, whatever we want to call them in terms of their investment in a uh, in a private and for-profit entity. So you know a lot of this is write a check and hope. And I don't think, and I think the NEMAC, this NEMAC example is another perfect example of, that's not good enough anymore. There should be more, uh, the term strings attached has been thrown out there. There should be more conditions. that are that are in place and there should be greater protections frankly this decision from the from the labor board is a for example with respect to ignoring the terms of the contract that they signed with the union versus uh, uh, you know and, and ignoring that to some extent while enforcing to the you know the heaviest extent of the law um, uh, the question of whether or not it's a legal strike or legal work mm-hmm. interruption is, uh, is I, I agree with you, John, it's shocking. It's shocking that there would be that level of imbalance in a judicial in a judicial playing field, in my opinion. In your opinion? Yes. We always trust your opinion. Sure, sure. yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: At least can, you let me speak, And right? we can <laughs> reduce corporate tax all you want. We will not be able to compete. Finally, we're on the same team. We will not <laughs> be able to compete with Mexico, no, regardless never, of how much you're going to reduce corporate tax. So they are still going to leave. So in saying that, and we know that, you just said that, we will never be able to compete with those, with those wages. Um, so you, we need a policy in order to protect that mm-hmm. because it is an unlevel playing field. It's extremely unlevel. So that's the only way we'll be successful. And um, hopefully we can get there. We've been, we've been trying since we've lost the auto pack, but hopefully we start seeing the light because here's a prime example of a greedy corporation. These workers are making starting at $16 an hour, and that's not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. That is not enough. At one time, it was Ford Motor Company that owned EMAC plant, and they took a reduction of 40% to keep that plant in Windsor. And then they froze their wages to keep that plant in Windsor, and it's still not enough. So we need to put some protections in place. I know you don't like that word, but that's what we have to do today to make sure we're successful.
0: So those protections have to come on a federal level. What can happen on a municipal level to keep those jobs in Windsor, if anything?
1: Well
2: yeah thanks council you know yeah yeah exactly I got, I got the mag- I got the silver bullet here to, to be honest I am engaged in a process where I'm looking at the uh, and engaging stakeholders who are involved in the sector to try to develop that and there's even a council question uh, that I brought forward a number of months ago um, uh, asking what it is that we can look to do to um, uh, to a protect investments that are already here and perhaps further stimulate greater investments moving forward um, you know, we have, some, we, have, we have some models that are working. We have the CIP, which is a tax incentive program. Um, maybe we look at tailoring that in a specific way to manufacturing uh, and the automotive sector. But again, I, I want to be clear. I'm not, I don't just want to start uh, getting in the business of writing blank checks mm-hmm. or foregoing revenues uh, that the community desperately needs right now just to sort of stave off. something that may eventually happen in a year or two from now
0: and seemingly that's how we got in the situation in the first place precisely yeah so so, yeah
2: there's some protections that need to be erected around those incentives stronger protections i i you know understand what the quote that you gave us from the uh um was it the minister the deputy minister or was it the
3: uh, the uh, spokesperson for the department
2: okay so that's an administrator too um, so it's different than, than somebody speaking from the minister's office.
3: <laughs> you know, they're not going to say anything about this. Well, sure. Uh, uh,
2: but, you know, cause they're not going to be proscriptive with respect to what we could have done better, right? They're going to be really administrative and say, oh, they, they met all of their criteria. We don't have to go after them for any money. But there's the other piece there to that. When I, when, when I hear that, I think how in the hell could they have met all of the conditions and still be leaving? You know that, and that mm-hmm. to me, that to me speaks to the flaws in the policy that exists right now. I, I, I don't. You know, the question was, what would you do? I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that there has to be a mix and a balance between the incentives that the municipality has with respect to its revenue generation policy and and the types of uh, uh, and the types of um, incentives that it has the opportunity to put forward. Um, but there's other soft Things where There's administrative capacity that we, that we offer uh, as a you know, human resource that might be a, um, uh, an opportunity for us to, to leverage our agencies, the Development Commission as a for example. In this
3: specific situation, given the fact that they didn't access the money that we gave them before, is it realistic to think that there's anything we can do at this point? Or are they, are they I guess, to John, uh, again, quoting this article... Uh, who was it, it's not the head of the company, but a spokesperson said that basically Windsor Plant's a very small plant. It's unfortunate they're going to lose jobs, but at the end of the day, it's a very small plant, and they have to do, you know, efficiencies are always the big. uh, Yeah,
2: I, I, I don't accept that nothing can be done, but go ahead, John. Yeah, I found
1: that funny because, first of all, they talked about we didn't have enough capacity in the plant, so we have to close it, but now it's too small. That doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Uh, we build a million parts out of that site. Um, so we could put three new programs and still add another program in there. So that was, uh, when we when we looked at that article, I said, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth here. Yeah. You just said that we don't have enough capacity, and now you're saying the plant's too small. So that made no sense. I've went after uh, both levels of government. I went after provincially and federally. I called Rob Ford out in... Uh, because he was silent when we were dealing with the Oshawa facility. And uh but both par- I don't care the federal and provincial, I've called them both out. If you're gonna not say a thing, that means you're supporting it, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You gotta step up. You gotta say this is uh, absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for yeah. your yeah. comment there, yeah.
0: Uh, well, we're we're almost coming up on the break, and uh, John, we appreciate you so much for taking your time. I know it's a it's a very busy day for you today. So, um, can you leave us with a couple of messages of uh, what would the workers like people to know?
1: The workers have done nothing but support this company. They've been loyal. They've mm-hmm. when you see them on the floor, and it's not an easy place to work in. It's a foundry. They do what they they can to make sure that company's successful. And that's why they got the new FCA program, because they went through that plant, saw what the workers had done. They just they, they want to have a, a good living and they wanna they want to stay home. Mm-hmm. They want that job. They don't want to lose their jobs. And I talked about it earlier. A lot of these workers are are getting up there. They're in their fifties now. And I couldn't even imagine not knowing when the if they if they lose this job what they're going to do um and it breaks my heart and i hope that the company can come to the table sit down with us and talk about this cuz i think that's important they haven't done that yet
0: and that's what we're anticipating the next step is hopefully they will come to the table absolutely yeah anything else you'd like to Go on there.
3: John As someone in my 50s, I find that last statement very offensive, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I'll let you slide on that one. Sure. All, right. Uh,
0: <laughs> all right, John, um, just before you leave, is there anywhere that uh, people can learn more? How can people help?
1: Is there any other
0: information you'd like to give us?
1: Um, I just want to let people know that we uh, we Unifor is involved in a lot of community uh, programs, and... Please look at how involved we are in the community. I think it's very important. Um, I know Local 200. We have Club 200 with the kids, and um, and we we do what we can. I'm on a, a, numerous boards to make sure our community is successful, and I, I don't want anybody to forget that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I want to remind everyone uh, that they can always join us on Facebook and Twitter for the conversation. And if you're listening to the show after it's live, please continue because we, we love to, to hear from you. Uh, we are brought to you with the kind support of Lion0625, Building Better Communities. We are broadcasting live from the kitchen studios above Reno's Kitchen. And uh, we have been joined this uh, past half hour by John uh, Dagnalo yeah got that see the italian part Good job. I, I know i gotta work on it Dagnella, who's a uh, unifor local 200 president ward 9 counselor karen mckenzie who's uh, our surprise special guest today surprise uh, <laughs> i'm sarah morris and i'm joined by don merrifield uh when we come back from the break we're going to be talking about Ojibwe, and we hope you'll stay tuned welcome to this week's row city politics events calendar thursday september 5th iman mcgrath f scott and the Nighthawks, and sirius festival are at meteor friday september 6th the seventh annual rotary fish fry is at lakeview park mo art show is at pressure drop opening reception of hard-boiled angel trip is at art site the Hellions, black dragon and macho are at pj's logger house Saturday, September 7th, a screening of It Follows featuring special guests is at the Redford Theatre. The 42nd annual Dally in the Alley is in Detroit. Sunday, September 8th, ORHMA Golf Tournament for Big Brothers Big Sisters is at Bellevue Golf Course. The 15th annual ASL Windsor Walk is at Sandpoint Park. Monday, September 9th. Oprig Mixer is at Green Bean Cafe. The next regular city council meeting is Monday, September 9th. Check out Roar City Politics on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to premium content on Patreon. If you'd like your event featured here, please contact us through social media. Welcome back to Rose City Politics. My name is Sarah Morris. I am joined by our regular panel, Don Merrifield.
3: Still happy to be here.
0: Uh, our special guest, Counselor Karen McKenzie. Hi. And our newest Are you special still guest.
3: Here? I thought we
2: kicked
0: you over. No, 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 no. He's sticking around. And our newest special guest, uh, Border City Hippie, DJ Bondi.
4: Hi, happy to be here. Glad to be here.
0: All right, so uh, you got pretty
3: short hair for a hippie. I'm just going to wow.
4: I'm growing out of the bottom of my head <laughs> instead of the top. That's all.
3: <laughs> be careful! but I know what's coming. <laughs> so, uh, TJ, I want you
0: to talk a little bit about uh, why you've been coming to council, or why you're you're about to go to council coming up. Yeah. And uh, what's been happening with that?
4: Yeah, sure. For for those people who don't know. Um, We have this beautiful park at the west side of our city called the Ojibwe uh, Prairie and Nature Complex. Um, It's Windsor's biggest park. Uh, It's home to 160 species at risk. Um, I could go on and on about how special it is. Um, But the issue that has come to hand is the road mortality that's happening. There are two um, pretty busy roads that bisect this park and this park complex. Uh, That's Malden and Matchett. And so... uh, A report is brought forward by um, the Windsor-Essex WICAC. Um, What what does that stand for?
2: Windsor-Essex County Environment Committee. Thanks, Karen. Um, uh,
4: They brought this issue forward to propose to close uh, both Malden and Matchett um, for the months of September and October to help bring down road mortality, uh, especially the species at risk, Um, specifically uh, some of the snakes and reptiles and amphibians that get hit by the cars uh, on these very busy roads
0: and this is because they're more active in the fall months 100 yeah. 100
4: so th- there's been a, a mortality study done um there was a three-year one that was done between uh 2000 and th- three years ago uh mm-hmm. for three years um and then it has continued on for the past three years and it's found that because of the hibernation patterns of these creatures, um, they have to move from one habitat to the other uh, to hibernate properly. And these are the times they're crossing the roadways, um, and they're getting struck on a daily basis.
0: So one of the ways that's sort of been the work around that uh, I think some environmentalists have been doing is that there's sort of a fence almost. Uh, uh, can y- you talk about that? Yeah,
4: sure, sure. So it's something that's been tried in the past and uh, definitely an uh a solution um, moving forward. Uh, so it's basically a snake barrier. So it's a small fence um, with kind of like a mesh screening below it to stop any ground critters that could crawl through a normal fence um, to kind of keep them off the roadway. Uh, the, the problem with this is over the long term, you seg- if you kept these up all year round all the time... Uh, you segregate populations uh, mm-hmm. and you don't have the same genetic diversity in the population. So, you know, one could be low on the gene pool and you could get some inbreeding. And as a long-term solution, it's just not going to work out.
0: And then why is it important? It's a silly question, but why is it important that we, we care about this? Uh, you know, I saw, I was reading an op-ed online saying like, oh, that's nice. I haven't seen any uh, animals that were killed, um, but also I have to get to work. So... What's the why should people care about endangered species that Uh, are in our community?
4: That comes down to I guess you know there's going to be people you can convince and people you can't convince that this Mm -hmm. is important. Uh, It's obviously a port an important issue in my life. I live there. I will be affected by these road closures. My road will actually become. I live on Spring Garden Road. Mm -hmm. My road will probably become a through affair to get past these so traffic will increase on my road um so i'll probably be negatively affected in my personal life and on my commute um but but these species are are crucial to uh the biodiversity in our area and the ecosystems they live in you know as soon as species start to drop out of ecosystems the whole ecosystem's health falls to to pieces so you know we say it's just the snakes and the turtles but you know they're they're a key and a chain in this whole food chain um and if we want to keep the beautiful uh, natural diversity that we have in the Ojibwe complex, saving these species is important.
0: Absolutely.
3: So, what's been the pushback from the anti-snake people? So, aside from they want to get to work. Yeah,
4: before? yeah. I mean, that's in, in the public eye and in the comment section on Facebook and Twitter and wherever else we're, we're talking about. <laughs> you this. actually read
3: those things? That's oh yeah, yeah. Way. I get
4: into I get into bouts. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but uh, I, the the main thing is oh I got to get to work. How am I going to get to work? You know. It's estimated that 9,800 cars go down these roads on a daily basis. So that's a huge amount of traffic. And I mean, I see it. And people, it's posted at 50, um, but people do not drive 50 on those roads. I take it on myself personally to drive 50, 55. You're such a liar. I do. No, I do on purpose. But I get passed on a daily basis because people aren't patient enough on those really straight, long runs. I say, I'm going to screw you. I'm going to go around to you and, and pass you.
3: As a guy who rides a motorcycle, I will tell you that never happens. <laughs> oh, of, we course. All post- of course. Of course. Yeah. Has there been any, uh, any comment from, obviously, the elephant in the room over there is the cocoa development that was fought for a long time? Uh, has there been anything from the corporation saying, okay, fine, or no, we don't want this?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a letter here uh, that was written to the city solicitor from Coco. Um, I can read some excerpts from it if in a give second. Us
3: the Reader's Digest version? I'd yeah,
4: I mean, they basically say they have uh, stakes in the Ambassador Golf Course, mm-hmm. um, um, the restaurant that goes on there, the event planning that goes on there, which, as you know, is at Sprucewood and match it road um and the previous council had approved the big box development on the corner of Sprucewood and match it yeah so the problem comes is that coco is threatening to sue the city mm-hmm. uh for closing down especially match it road um because it will essentially for two months of the year every year stop that traffic from passing by that spot fact,
3: access to the uh, yeah to those and,
4: and and to be honest that's something that I don't think the general population knows about. I think it's talked about within circles that care about this issue, but that's not something that's publicly talked about. It's, oh, I got to get to work, or oh, I want to save the snakes. But a lot of those people in the, both those parties
2: don't know about this this cocoa uh, lawsuit.
3: Councilor McKenzie, would you like to comment on that?
2: Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I would love to have the opportunity to comment. Um, I'm going to start with, I care very deeply about the biodiversity of our region and the Ojibwe Prairie Complex. I've done a tremendous amount of work uh, in my career on, uh, on Ojibwe, uh, trying to protect Ojibwe, uh, and for many and perhaps all of the same reasons that TJ cares very deeply about the Ojibwe Prairie Complex. Um, now, with respect to the road closure, when it came to WCAQ, and I sit on WCAQ, And I'll be I'll be clear. I opposed this um, this proposal at that point because, first of all, I knew I opposed the closure uh, because I knew where it was going to lead. And I didn't think that there was enough discussion with people who know enough about this issue in order for us as a committee. And then because of the process that was going to be triggered, it goes to the advisory committee, then to the standing committee, then to council. And along the way. The issue, as it continues to be framed through that initial motion, gains momentum uh, and and, and generates greater amounts of discussion. What I tried to convince the committee of was that there are a range of options and there's more information that we need in order to be able to make a recommendation that could be more, um, uh, just to be frank, thoughtful than the one that we had in front of us, which was one option that admittedly could address the issue of road mortality um but it perhaps wasn't the only option and um as tj's alluded to um barrier fencing or exclusionary fencing can be appropriate ways to uh to um uh, mitigate to mitigate that road the road mortality it has consequences how do we address those consequences well there's other there's other measures as well that people have adopted in other jurisdictions eco passages mm-hmm. as a for example so now when you start thinking and then there's potentially even just looking at if it's not a road closure maybe it's another traffic calming measure like reduced speed uh even some other uh, some other more let's say next level traffic calming if you want to if we realize the reduced speed limit isn't uh, isn't effective enough maybe there's speed bumps or whatnot. So there's a range of different options that the committee was never offered the opportunity to consider, uh, but in their exuberance, decided that they really wanted to do something to address the issue of road mortality, in the especially in the context of these species at risk. I understand that urgency. So this is where we are now. I still remain um, very a concerned and b. Um, uh, I'm more than willing, I'm actively working a variety of different, uh, to look towards a variety of different potential solutions that could be out there. Monday, we'll see what happens, um, uh, which is when the, the issue will come forward to council. But regardless of what happens, whether there's a temporary road closure that moves forward uh, through count, uh, a council decision, um, you're gonna see me, uh, at least, and I'm only speaking for myself now. Continuing to work on this issue to protect those animals. They need to be protected. There's there's serious consequences for the uh, for the ecosystem that we have the opportunity and, and I would argue the obligation to address in, in a serious way.
4: Can we can we uh, go back to the motion that happened at last council mm-hmm. and what's coming back on Monday? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it kind of happened quick. There was a bunch of delegations there for this issue at the beginning of the meeting. Councillor Holt made a motion. Um, to move this issue to the next meeting with a report back with closing Malden only. Yep. And and I mean, this is what my delegation was going to be about. Because of this threat of lawsuit, is it due to the closure of Matchett or Malden or, or both or, or what's that going to be? So I'm interested to see what the report will come back for mm-hmm. on Monday. Um, I was speaking to Jonathan Choket, the biologist who co-authored the study, the mortality study, and he said that there are more mortalities on Matchet than Malden. Mm even though most people associate match it with the Ojibwe complex, there's a different uh, on the... Sorry, I think you meant Malden than match Excuse it. me, you're correct. Okay, so, okay. Yes, 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 yes. More on Malden than match it. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, on one side of Malden, you have a savanna prairie mm. uh, habitat. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have a Carolinian forest habitat. Um, and, and the savannah and the prairie is where those snakes would live out their summer lives, where, you know, there's field mice and prey for them to eat. Um, and on the other side is where those, those, uh, hibernation situations would be.
2: It's also, there's cold blooded, there's more sunlight on the prairie. That's mm-hmm. where they are in the summertime. They hibernate in the winter. They come back to the other side in the wintertime because there's, there's cover for them And they, you know, they, they find different places to be like, <laughs> I'm no wildlife expert, <laughs> but I've met, I've, I've <laughs> met enough and I've had enough discussion about this issue to understand what these migration patterns are mm-hmm. all about and why this is a really, really important issue for us to deal with the other piece to it, and I, I, so we already have. I'm, I'm sure you're aware, TJ, but we already have an eco passage. Yeah, it's that's just... been built on Matchit. It's right at the end. It's right where the um, expressway. expressway, the the interchange mm-hmm. for the expressway and Matchit is. So it's, 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 it's a culvert. It goes under the
4: road. It's like a little, oh. like a little uh, eco culvert and there's yeah. snake barriers that kind of funnel the wildlife
2: into that culvert. And, and that's the, so there's your solution right do there. Do they have
0: the little strip? Like when they have, when they test for how many cars are going through, yeah, but how many
4: like, like the, the, the snake tester, Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe no, they do well, have devices so like they So
2: there is, okay. So what you'll see if you go down <laughs> to that location, you know, you're Sarah, they they in this, it's, it's if you're gonna funnel all of the traffic, if yeah. you will, it's into a good one location, to, to that's survey. the perfect place to count, right? So if you go down to that location, you're gonna see a solar panel installation. And if you look, at, if you're standing facing that solar panel it says you look immediately to your left. You're gonna notice like another pole with this thing on it. It's a counter. It literally is a counter. Mm-hmm. So they are. we don't have the data. That,
4: does that track the tagged individuals? It's, that tagging, are ta-
2: it's tracking It's tracking. the tag. So right. they'll be able to extrapolate the the migration patterns because if they have a total, this is how many snakes we think are in the region. Sure. And these are the ones we've tagged. It's a percentage of blah, 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 extrapolating the numbers. They can, they'll be, we'll have hard data with respect to, uh, in not too long, with respect to how effective that particular eco passage is and
0: could there be a potential for more of those that would this is this will be
2: the decision of council right and this is where in addition to what may happen on monday or what well something will happen on monday but whatever happens on monday there's other opportunities that council will have to look at different ways to mitigate road mortality Mm -hmm. i think what's really important now if i can speak to the folks that are going to come tj and whoever else uh, and, and represent and represent on this issue it needs to be really. It needs to be made really clear. Um, this question of why, because uh, why is it important that we make these investments to um, to protect these animals? Yes, it's something. Nobody wants to kill animals. I don't think unless you have some serious psychological issues. <laughs> but why is it really important for us to make the investments to impact it in, in in terms of the road closure or temporary road closure? to, quote, mildly inconvenience people. Why is it important to do that? And then why may it be important moving forward to make capital investments to, to deal with this, the, this migration issue? I think that those, those, those arguments are there, but they need to be articulated because I think there's a number of levels of misunderstanding in the community. You talked about the legal questions and challenges that we have, and if we have time, I want to address that question too. Um, but why we need to do this is a really, really important piece for the community to understand moving forward.
4: For sure, yeah. And and I think it's super important, uh, and to come back at you, I mean, a lot of these species going through here are in danger of ex- extirpation, yep. which means uh, extinction within an, a localized area. So within our area, mm-hmm. if, you know, we kill 12 more Massissauga rattlesnakes, there are no more left, as far as we know. As the one, so, so, you know, we're at that edge where we have to act September now, Or, you know, 300 more snakes might die within the next two months, and that could crucially impact the species. You
0: know, we talk about climate change and tipping points and things like that, and it can feel very overwhelming. It feels, you know, very overwhelming to think about climate on a, you know, monumental, global scale. But when there are things within our own community that can happen, and whether that inconvenience is five more minutes on your commute, is that something that, you know, we need to start considering? That, that you know, climate change is going to inconvenience us, inconvenience us on a major scale? That we need to start taking minor inconveniences in our own lives to fight that?
4: Definitely. I, I think we'll see that in the years to come. And, I, yeah. you know, it's never going to be a, a happy fight to have with right. people who oppose it. It's that not-in-my-backyard kind of mentality. I'll <laughs> save the polar bears, but these snakes on my... On my road, what do I care about, these little snakes?
3: Well, in our defense, the snakes are trying to kill us, too. So. What, what snake it. has ever tried to kill no, you? <laughs> yeah, besides I, the snake I, pit I, of transit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, if we, uh, maybe I misunderstood. Can we, we kind of go back a bit to the beginning? What roads are you actually asking to be closed? Because you brought up Malden. I thought we were just referring to Matchett
4: Road. So, so in 2017, there was a proposal that got shut down by previous council mm-hmm. uh, to close a section of Matchett Road permanently. That got shot down, and that's when the lawsuit was first brought to light. Um, This recommendation by WECEC is to close both Malden and Matchett Road from Armanda. On Malden, it's from Armanda to Todd. So uh, Armanda is just south of the expressway, and Todd Lane is where the roundabout is, just before um, you get into the town of LaSalle. Mm -hmm. And then uh, just adjacently on Matchit, it goes from Broadway, which is just at the end of Armanda, uh, all the way down to Sprucewood, where the, the old racetrack was, and Ambassador Golf Courses. So those two sections of roads will be closed just for the month of September and October.
3: So that runs into a lot of the new subdivisions that have been built over there. Has, uh, has there been any pushback from the residents? Have you spoken to any of them? Or? So,
4: so, I mean, I've walked around. I have a petition started. I've spoke to people I found on the road. I mean or on the on the trails in Ojibwe, obviously those are the kind of people that will probably support my initiative. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, some of them are people that live around there. They're not going to close it down and make it impassable. There will just be signs that say local traffic only. Mm-hmm. So it'll still be accessible to residents. Um, you know, it is really those other roads that are going to see increased traffic, like Todd Lane, um, uh, Spruce Wood will probably receive more traffic. Um, the Herb Gray Parkway and Ojibwe Parkway will receive more traffic, although they can probably take it. Um, but you know, it's a road like mine, Spring Garden, we're going to see a lot more traffic on my road because it's going to be blocked off and it'll be part of the the direction around it. Do the
3: snakes not go over to Spring Garden?
2: They do. I I shoo them off at night
3: every night with a broom. It's
2: a a question of the volume of mortality though, right? So, and and that's where, that's where the, the quote, the hotspots are. And you know, when you think about when I've been, as I've been thinking about this issue and the, why should I care? Um, I come to the and the and you, you raise a really good point, Sarah, around the, um, the monumentality of mm-hmm. climate change and how how huge it is and how how, you know, how insignificant or small we could feel in terms of thinking about different ways that we can address it. This is it right here. This is our opportunity. And so in thinking about where I want to be on this issue, what side of history do you want to be on? You want to be on the side of history that said, I, I, I need to get to I need to get to and from work five minutes faster. You want to be on the part of history, on the side of history that said, I did everything I could within the scope of the things that I can do to protect habitat, to protect wildlife, to protect the ecosystem, to protect the planet. That's right here. It's, that's in front of us. And we'll have an opportunity to make a decision on that on Monday.
3: So for the two topics we discussed on today's show, can we basically blame the Chinese for everything? Oh, my God, <laughs> Because that. obviously... Climate change was created by the Chinese. I read oh, that somewhere. Geez. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Okay. I can, I I
4: canceled on Merrifield? Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and, I mean, I don't know if we have well time to talk about this, but another subject yeah. we had on, on the agenda tonight was, the, was uh, the Ojibwe shores right. and, yeah, and the development of that into an urban yeah. park. And I'm sure you have something to say oh about God, this counselor. I, I mean, absolutely. Um, um, but, but if this is something that we're going to, you know, bring in and make, you know, this huge nature complex even greater by connecting it to the Detroit River... Mm-hmm. And if our goal is to bring people here to see that beautiful ecosystem and and habitat, is it going to be the same if we don't have these species there?
2: It it won't be. Uh, Yeah, the ecotourism piece already on um, uh, Ojibwe is already an ecotourism draw. Um, Completing, and I shouldn't use the word completing, adding Ojibwe shores into the complex, it's an essential Component to that entire mix because it's the opening into the waterway.
4: So can we clarify that? So the Ojibwe Nature Complex goes from almost the Herb Gray Parkway, uh, and there's about seven sections, and this final piece will connect all those seven sections to the Detroit River near yeah. Black Oaks Heritage Park
2: contiguously. So with the the breaks being the only of the, 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 the roadways yeah. that are, that that's that that sort of bisect these various properties. And even if you know, you're you're aware, TJ, and I'm sure I know Sarah is. Uh, Don, maybe not so much, because I think his reading think the level is... Kind of, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's part of the that's, community. It's big talk for the, someone who
3: just raked the whole Mexican country
2: <laughs> but uh, the, not the whole Me- I said the rule the, no, their, their yeah, governance okay. is Back different to snakes. we'll discuss that later sure uh, <laughs> the at uh, yeah.
0: uh, RCB Windsor
2: <laughs> eco passages so yeah. that's a major investment uh, it, uh, wildlife bridges we're talking about in yeah. terms of community benefits, which, being which we also have w- one
4: of those uh, in the development of the Herb Grey Parkway they did an eco bridge which goes over the Herb Grey Parkway mm-hmm. uh, to connect you know animal traffic over that
2: huge parkway absolutely we already have examples of that in the community so you know this isn't such a a far-fetched idea we are going to have more of these Uh, and as we continue to recognize and, uh, and appreciate and understand the significance of what we have with respect to the Ojibwe Prairie Complex as a whole we're gonna you know this doesn't end here either no regardless of what happens it's uh we have something phenomenal uh, and the community and Brian Massey is on the right track with respect to promoting this, uh, the consolidation of those properties into an urban national park. Because when you have those, um, uh, when you, when you have that, that, that federal level of protection, you also have federal dollars that start rolling in and, and a range of resources that we can't, that we have no opportunity to leverage at this point. So it's, it's an exciting opportunity for sure.
0: So an urban park, what, on just a practical level really how does that make it different than a than a municipal park like a national national federal yeah
4: how how will it be different from what ojibwe is today
0: yeah
2: so first of all it will consolidate those properties under one authority right Mm -hmm. so right now um you know in terms if you look at the ojibwe prairie complex the city of windsor owns a piece the province of ontario owns a piece um the port authority uh, if you consider Ojibwe Shores currently a part, uh, a partner in the Ojibwe Prairie complex, I don't, but they still own property, which is part of it. Um, uh, they, uh, uh, they own a piece of it. So there's multiple, um, uh, there's multiple levels of jurisdiction that have a piece in all of this. Um, so that in and of itself just isn't an ideal situation in terms of a best, uh, uh you know, a land use and land management uh, practice, not to mention the federal government has from a, just a pure financial standpoint many more resources that it can uh, as, and especially if it 's in the national park framework there 's a lot more dollars that are going to flow into that mm-hmm. into that space to protect wildlife to understand that habitat to promote biodiversity and ecotourism all of those things that we want to do than we than we, we have right now. At our disposal in this sort of quote-unquote piecemeal approach.
4: Do I understand correctly that the plan that Brian Massey has would make the Ojibwe Nature Complex have the same designation as, say, Point Pelee National Park? Yes, but but, mean, but in an urban center yeah, is sure. the difference? Yeah,
2: and that and that would be that's 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 sort of you know the end goal. There's because of the variety of land owners, let's call them, or land land managers, frankly, because most of them are public. Sure, um, the public owns all of it. But the the mm-hmm. entities that are managing those particular properties right now, you know, live at different levels of government. That's challenging. Not to mention, there's properties, private properties that are surrounding pretty big chunks that surround the park that are undeveloped still, uh, or surround the the nature complex. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, that um, that that need to be or could be acquired to a further protect all of those species and 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 that habitat and. Uh, and just turn it into something amazing. We have a, a, an incredible opportunity. It's amazing, frankly, when development the development that's happened all around it, you think just to immediately to the east, it's an entire industrial park. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet we have protected land right mm-hmm. and immediately adjacent to it that we've been protecting, actively protecting for decades. That is something that this community from an, uh, a natural heritage standpoint should be incredibly proud of, incredibly proud of. And this moving forward with protecting this habitat further is us as a community continuing that legacy and that stewardship. I think it's something to be proud of.
3: Has there been any response from the Port Authority? I know this kind of came up in years past about that yeah. land there.
2: Now you're going to get me, <laughs> you're <going> to get <laughs> me in trouble. So here's, the, you know, the Port Authority. I just asked the question. Yeah, I know. I know. They've been trying to develop that land yeah. for a long time. And if you go onto their website right now, And you look under properties available for development, whatever that link is, you will see Ojibwe Shores is is the first property that is listed. Um, And this has been, you know, flying in the face of the community's expressed will for many, many years now. They brought forward a proposal, I believe it was in 2013, to develop two thirds of that property. And the community absolutely, it was a flat no. And they were, they fell flat on their face it was a horrible moment for the for the uh, for the port authority they presented it to the community in a public meeting they found out in the middle of that public meeting that their development partner was no longer part of of that project it was an embarrassing moment for them and they deserved to feel all of that shame because they were bringing something forward that and they were trying to frame it as positive for the community that they knew was dead wrong and to this day it remains undeveloped to their credit They have done what they can do as a port and a commercial operation, essentially, to try to maintain that property as best they can, given what they are. They're a commercial operation. They're a port. They want to do business, marine business. So they have no business, in my opinion, owning or exercising stewardship over a significant and environmentally sensitive parcel of land. Some some
4: environmentalist groups say it's the most significant piece of the whole complex. They D- due, due to its connection to the Detroit River and, and that waterway system.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, gang, this has been an awesome show. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we would love for you to, to continue the conversation online and to continue it on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, but before we go, TJ, can you let us know where people can find the, uh, petition if they'd Sh- like to sign it?
4: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I can actually give you the link to put sure. up on the Twitter feed for the Rose City okay. Twitter feed. And, uh, if you have any questions, you can reach out, uh, to border city hippies on Instagram or Facebook, um, or myself personally, TJ Bonnie, you can find me. I'm easy to find.
3: Yeah. Kieran, would you like to take this opportunity to apologize to the whole entire Mexican country?
2: <laughs> I love Mexico. <laughs> I've traveled to Mexico. But uh, the Mexican government can
3: pound salt. (laughs)
0: all right don is there anything you want to plug
3: no i think we're gonna get sued enough. all
0: right well thank you everyone for tuning in thank you so much uh, to all of our guests tonight um you have been listening to rose city politics brought to you with the kind support of liana 625 we broadcast live every wednesday at eight o'clock from kitchen studios above reno's kitchen my name is sarah morris uh and our regular panel is don merrifield Hello, Don. Hey. I'm just thanks. <laughs> thanks. <there> Great. <laughs> <laughs> super quick. Super quick <laughs> on that. buttons. <laughs> um, uh, big thanks to TJ Bondi from Border City Hippies for yeah. being on today and sharing your wonderful expertise. We really do appreciate
4: that. Happy to be here. Happy to answer questions.
0: And um, as always, uh, Kieran McKenzie, list. thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
2: I'll be back next week, right? <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course. I don't think they have the air <laughs> air time for that.
0: All right, we will see you all next week. And please, again, join... Oh, no, please, we'd love to. (laughs) uh, Join the conversation online, and we'll see you soon.